hey, it's Ash. I am so excited to be back with you. You have no idea. But before we get into the regular podcast, this is something special that Mark and I and the team at Lululemon wanted to put out for you. This is the Inclusivity Series. If you're unfamiliar, as an ambassador for Lululemon, I had a goal to make the Boston fitness scene more inclusive. And we decided to do a series of talks based in allyship, service, wellness, and just generally how to be a better human. And so these are those 13 talks. They're recorded from Zoom. So, um, you know, it may be a little, you know, not the best quality here and there, but you will absolutely still enjoy them. And I have to tell you that these talks were all 90 minutes, 60 minutes of speaker interview with me and then 30 minutes of Q&A from the audience. The Q&A has been cut from these recordings just to protect the space and the bravery of the people who asked questions. Sorry, just one of those things where you had to be there. So I hope you enjoy the inclusivity series and we'll talk soon. Thank you. I can't believe it's the last one. OMFG. It's like, it's gone by so fast. And also I, I can't get enough of these conversations um, because they're just so powerful. And each speaker has given me so much food for thought throughout this time, this, like the entirety of the series. Um, and last week in particular with Beth and Oliver, if you were on, we had an amazing discussion around gender and, and being non-binary and being trans and the language that we were given to speak about um, humans in their bodies and biology and all of these things. Um, there were things that I, there were things that I just started to notice. Like for instance, I was brushing my teeth the other day and I was like, Mark, your deodorant says men's. Why do you need men's deodorant? Why does deodorant have to be gendered? <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's fine that he has men's deodorant, but it's the fact that I'd never seen the word men on the deodorant, right? There's not men's toothpaste. I mean, maybe there is men's toothpaste. I don't really know, but my deodorant isn't gendered. So I just like, just this awareness of like, oh, there are these, there are all these things. When I was signing up for birthing classes um, the other day, it asked for gender. There was only male and female on the ticket. And I was like, what if that's not how I identify? So it's just, it's been really amazing to have a heightened awareness of how to be a better human, how to be more inclusive and and I'm not sure I would have gotten there without all of you and all of the speakers that we've had. So thank you for making the space and the time to be here week after week and to engage on Instagram and to ask 
smart questions, curious questions, open-hearted questions, open-minded questions. Um, I'm just so incredibly full from this. And so in the spirit of how we always do the thing, go ahead and scroll through who's here, who's not here. There are faces that we have not seen. Hi, Jimmy Lamb. Hey, Court. <laughs> um, and, and it's so, um, it's so amazing that things are opening back up and, and hopefully we will have a um, different experience when we come back to this. So Chris Caposi, if you could put in to the chat for everyone um, an email or a point of contact. So my ask for you is when it, when it uh, hits September, October, and I decide to come back into the world. Um, what do you want to? What do you want to do next? What do you want to see? Uh, people had mentioned full day workshops, um, more speakers, uh, different different topics. We certainly haven't covered everything. So, send an email to the email that's in the chat uh, with any feedback good, bad, ugly, whatever, and also what you would like to see next, what you would like to participate in, in person. Okay, all right, I just, okay. So <laughs> let's get into tonight. Um, Kadeja is um, one of like my favorite humans in the world um, for several reasons. Um, she is absolutely black girl magic. If you know her, you're like, yes, she is hundred um, percent. We met through fitness and over the years, I've been able to um, really connect with her because one of the places where we intersect are that fitness is, is maybe where we connected, but we are so much more than a spin bike or a set of dumbbells or being on a microphone. We've, we've cultivated a friendship through our own becoming and our own blossoming as women, as black women, as leaders. Um, and I'm so proud to have her here. So I'm going to read her bio for y'all and then I'm letting her take it away. All right. Okay. Kadeja is an individual with many dimensions. In the fitness community, Kadeja has taught across Boston and Minneapolis for the past eight years within a variety of formats, such as boot camp, hit, step, kickboxing, and spin. Within corporate America, Kadeja has deep experience within two of the most iconic, influential brands in the world who have provided a profound personal connection between their mission and their consumers they serve, Target Corporation and Nike Inc. Currently, Kadeja is responsible for leading the global Nike Converse integrated business planning strategy to deliver planning and inventory excellence across an ever-transforming digitally-led landscape. She is also a member of the Converse Diversity Council, an executive level council driving long-term oversight, input and accountability across the global Converse DNI strategy. Kadeja's global experience closely relates to her personal foundation, having spent most of her childhood across Europe, primarily in Germany. 
She is an alumni of the University of Notre Dame and of Harvard Business School and was a member of the 2020 cohort of the Boston Future Leaders Program within the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce. Kadeja's strength and passions align with inclusive leadership supported by her experience and skill set driving difficult but necessary conversations. She drives her unsaid beliefs and assumptions and has a curiosity and understanding motivation to leading change. She targets direct yet disarming conversations to develop, coach, and unleash the full potential of the teams she leads and works within. Kadeja, welcome girl. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Ash, if I ever run for president, <laughs> have you actually like team me up right before I come out? Yo, I got you, I got you. It's not even a thing. <laughs> well, good evening or no matter where you are, good afternoon, maybe good morning for some of you. And thanks, Ash, for the introduction. And I am beyond excited and honored to be here. And I do want to take a moment to just really acknowledge this journey. Many of you have been on for the past, I think, seven weeks at this point in time. And a huge thank you and appreciation for the speakers, presenters, facilitators, and planners that put this on. And because this is Zoom, and because I'm super chatty, um, if you could blow up in the chat or give them an emoji just to show your appreciation, because this is such an important series of work. And this is no short of a large grand effort for them to put this on, especially thinking about what they've had to share and the vulnerability there. And I'm also super chatty in the chat if anyone who's been in the Zoom with me, so it's definitely blown up. So I want to get a little bit to the topics at hand. Um, Ash noted me as a critical conversation strategist. And I think the best way of following up that title is kind of sharing a little bit of my belief system. And there are two values I'll rest on. One, I believe there are ways, many ways, excuse me, to take action when it comes to inclusive leadership. And two, I believe the critical conversations are the center, the heart, and even the lifeblood of where and how we evolve as collectives and as individuals. So where I want to go with our conversation today is I'm gonna get right into tangible actions and really thinking about how we leverage critical conversations for progress and growth. But then I'm gonna actually raise things up to like a thousand foot level to really just drive context before we move on to Q&A. And I do want to ground an initial part of our conversation, Jay, in sharing one of my most critical conversations of my entire career. And I'm gonna start with rooting us there, and then I'm gonna get into how and why it relates and just a little bit of tactics behind it. Because I think you've spent the past six weeks really talking about a lot of different dimensions. And I think what's important for us here today is to kind of leave with just actions and specifics. And I'm gonna start with a situation that seemingly doesn't really relate to DNI, but I promise you're gonna to have to hang with me. It's coming later. Um, so a little bit about the situation. Um, Ash mentioned that I worked for Target back in the day and I oversaw inventory purchasing on my team and carry the responsibility of how our team spent against our budget, just to say it super overly simply. And then one fateful day as these conversations happen after missing a pretty critical accountability point with my team, um, I had discovered one of my analysts had done a really huge overspend to our budget. And as I dug in, I recognized, crap, my team was overspent by almost $20 million to my budget, two zero capital M. And this is on the heels of my upcoming budget review with my SVP and her key stakeholders. And 
I don't know if I'm allowed to say bad words, but this was very much a moment in my career. Am I allowed to do that? Keep me honest. Take it out of the recording. Say, say what you say. Say what you want. It's fine. <laughs> we should have talked about this in the rehearsal. Yeah, we should have. But you're fine. Maybe <laughs> <the> F word. <laughs> anyway, I was OMG, right? Like, as a lot of one, that's a lot of freaking money. But also, too, like, oh my goodness, like, how did this happen? And you kind of get in these moments of crisis or when you're kind of in the thick of a mistake or something. Um, I found myself knowing that this conversation was coming, going down a couple of different paths. Um, let me just explain what happened and where I'm coming from. Um, okay, let me just get through this conversation. I know it's gonna really suck, but it'll be over soon. Um, what can I say maybe to make this less painful? Um, how do I want them to deliver the message? Or how can I beat them to the punch with coming armed with all the answers so that, that they know I already know what I did wrong, right? Uh, and it was almost like similar to when you're kind of going into battle and you're putting your armor on and you're like, I'm ready to get in this conversation. And at the end of the day, I kind of had to stop my spin and my freak out um, and come to a realization that objectively speaking, kind of what happened on my team just really can't happen, shouldn't happen, right? Like there's no like way to kind of put lipstick on it and right, like make it, um, make it okay. And where I was really focused on what I was going to say in the conversation, I realized what was more important was really to listen. So for all the prep I did for this conversation, all the layers of armor I thought I had to leverage, it was just honestly more important for me to really discuss the impact and really thinking about what does it take to rebuild trust kind of after this moment, right? And then of course, how do I figure it out afterwards? But you know, that's for another conversation, right? Um, and I think the biggest thing too is lastly, I kind of had to sit in a discomfort that it wouldn't get easy overnight, right? Like that's a big deal. That's a big impact. And yes, Target is a huge corporation, right? But these are types of things that you can't have everybody just doing. Um, in fact, in doing the work to recover, it wouldn't be fixed overnight. And in many ways, the work I was going to have to do was going to be more challenging than where I was before all of this came apart. There wouldn't be a resolution that day. And I had to be comfortable with that and still motivated. So like, where does this kind of relate to critical conversations? Um, and just think about it. How many times have you found yourself dreading a conversation from something you did, you said, um, maybe not realizing the impact? And how many times have you found yourself in a similar mode to where I sat, kind of heading into my conversation? And maybe the conversations you've been approached on have been performance, um, maybe a mistake you've made, maybe regarding your job, or maybe the other 20 million conversation, race, gender equity, and inclusion, right? And where the similarity I'm looking to draw in is just, we think about the tension and fear we, cut, we carry in being called out or being criticized in general, and just how limiting that space can really be to actually getting to where you need to be at the outcome of this conversation, may it be short-term and long-term. And in this instance, um, I found the conversation, but what do you do in instances where the conversation finds you, you're caught off guard, you weren't expecting it, oh my goodness. And I guess good news, bad news as well. One can be harder than the other. You're going to have to navigate them successfully in either case. And a little bit about this, and this is kind of where we get into some of the specifics. I will say I have a great intrigue. I won't say excitement because this is stuff that no one's ever excited to be approached on. Um, someone keep me honest here. But being on the receiving end of critical conversations, it either means a couple of things. Um, one best case scenario, 
I've really established the conversation and where we frequently and often give each other feedback, which usually isn't the case. But if you have those relationships, keep them close. That is fantastic. You need to build more relationships with that in your life. But many times, um, more often the case can be things are really at a boiling point where this person has no choice but to say something either out of impact to them or their community. And sometimes actually out of concern for you. And I think that's a critical thing to remember, especially if you're in a place of privilege or power in a conversation, may it be driven by race, gender, your title and your company, et cetera. The hardest conversations I've received and the ones I've had to initiate have kind of fallen into that category. And it's super rare as much as um, everyone likes to poke holes, that these major conversations where someone's actually taking their time to sit with you, um, they're walking away saying, thank goodness, nailed it. I'm going to go fire off some shots, woo-woo, right? Like these are conversations that are taxing to create, to bring to your attention, um, to call energy. And we're not talking about some random comment on Instagram or Facebook wars where, right? We're talking about the ones where people are really investing and in actually seeking you out, finding the time, probably orchestrating, how do I make sure I don't offend them, but I want them to be productive, right? And I think usually that's when they're pretty hurt or impacted. And going back to that power privilege point, sometimes they're actually over, overcoming the fear of putting their job at risk, their friendships at risk, their personal, personal equity at risk, their safety at risk, depending on really what the topic really is. So you have to be aware of the many barriers or red flags this person might be overcoming to drive progress with you. They're seeing that this is worth overcoming this risk or they're putting trust in you that, hey, like, I don't think this is going to um, come back in retaliation and I want to make sure I help you. Uh, this is a risk in many ways they're having. And you can probably relate to many conversations you've had to bring to people, right? And you've kind of had this like, oh, do I say something or not? Are they going to be mad? Oh, they never react well. Or, ooh, that's my boss. Like, are they going to treat, right? Like there's a whole dynamic here. And so anytime you're being approached, kind of thinking back and putting yourself in the situation, well, when you approach these hard conversations, kind of thinking about the place you're coming from. And usually as much as sometimes we like to believe like, oh man, they had a lot of time telling me I, I suck, Right usually not the case. Um, I think that's where you got to start. So as these conversations approach you, that's a pretty important awareness to keep. And how do you use that awareness to reposition yourself in the conversation? So rather than arming yourself to going into battle or quickly armoring up, creating your reasonings, getting to debate mode, um, instead thinking about it, it's really about taking in information to really understand and focus on the impact that you made to this individual. So within that, I think sometimes it gets really easy to be on autopilot. And this is where you've got to develop thick skin, mental toughness, and lose fragility to ensure you're able to clearly hear the message. But also, most importantly, you've got to establish this idea and this environment of psychological safety so that people can actually be super transparent and you can get all the information you need to know and understand where to improve and where to grow from this conversation. Center the impacted in the conversation too. Um, it's not about what you knew before the conversation, what you read, who you donated to. And I think sometimes we get into this mode and this quick fix where we kind of say, I know, I know, I know, I still do it too. Um, but I think thinking about moments and those ones where thinking about how I know kind of centers you and the conversation and how much easier it is just to translate that to, you're right. You're right. You are so right. Right. 
And just thinking about on the receiving end when you're trying to express a point, how much different that really feels. Focus on the impact to them. Be accountability seeking, not adverse. Hear them out and thinking about really, despite kind of the emotional turmoil inside, how can you really stay in a cooperative space? And one of the most important things I think sometimes gets missed, you've got to mean it, right? What you say, how you behave, how you act. I think at times we can treat these tactics as just kind of a little bit of a checklist on how to perform. But this is more of an exercise of authentically caring to do better as a person who indicates themselves as an ally in this space. And so how do you move that energy and investment to saying the right thing just to ease the impact of the conversation instead put the energy into the full realization and understanding of just the issue, what it is and how it came across, right? That's all that we wanna pull from it. That's what you need to grow. And then lastly, and this is one of the hardest things, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable with the fact that conversations aren't going to reach a full resolution at the end, right? It's not gonna be instantly okay once the conversation ends. And there might be time where you've got to earn trust back. Things won't go back to the way they were before. But I think what's important to remember in these types of cases, especially when they're incident driven, is as much as now like, oh, things have changed. Why can't they go back? Um, going back to the incident, that's probably the moment when things change for the individual, right? And they're just kind of now cluing you into it, right? I think it's just really all about perspective. And many times individuals just carry that alone. Just, it's just easier to forego a conversation. And I think what's beautiful, right? Oh, yeah, that's a lot. Um, and we'll get to this a little bit more detail a little bit later, but this is the work in action. This is the learning, right? This goes beyond the reading and getting right into the doing. I also think this is a moment for you to understand how effective your work has really been. And I won't say these conversations are ever easy. And I won't even say they become easier, right? But you become more productive the more you have them. And I think the way you have them more is thinking about rather than it just always coming to you, how do you develop areas where you can seek feedback, where you can get the truth? Thinking about rather than seeking places that reaffirm and feel great, how do you dive right into areas of dissent where you're like, I don't think this area, this person has an opinion that I don't think really makes you feel great, but I want to hear the opposing views, or I want to hear the criticisms, or I want to hear the counter arguments really for where I do. And I think sometimes that's a point that gets missed when we seek to mean well when it comes to places of driving DNI, right? Seeking out really the alternative opinion that just doesn't really agree with you're doing great and no other comments, right? And then what's interesting about this kind of circling it back to the target conversation, these hard conversations, the fact that that $20 million incident happened, it actually wasn't the defining moment of my career. Actually, I went on, well, I'm still here, still in corporate America, I made it. But what's interesting and where it didn't define who I was, was how I navigated the conversation from them and the steps I took afterwards, really, to make sure I could really prove myself, build trust, right? change my team, change my behaviors, et cetera. That's what made it so that conversation did become who I was, but more around a growth spurt for me and an individual. And I think what's interesting too, is it's very similar to conversations in this space too. When you, when you have found yourself bringing things to your peers or your friends, um, especially in situations where something was damaging or hurtful, you kind of evaluate the way they respond, right? And there are many instances, we've all had conversations where oh, I went well and you grew together, you grew closer. 
But there are many instances where that conversation actually defined kind of the end of an era, right? And it's important to really balance where do you want to be when these conversations approach you? And how do you get comfortable being uncomfortable and knowing how to still drive progress in moments is where probably there's internal, a lot of crisis and a lot of turmoil in these moments. I'm going to pivot a little bit. So we stand here actually, and I want to call attention, we are almost a year to the day that George Floyd was murdered. And speaking honestly, this is still a really tough time for people of color, especially when we think about our AAPI community and when we think about communities abroad. And thinking about where we stood last May slash June, um, we were so motivated in the af aftermath of George's murder. And we have to really think about where do we stand now? Let's see in the year. Let's take inventory of our progress. What did we accomplish? What is your impact? What is your legacy? What barriers have you broken? And what systems have you challenged? And you have to think, you know, a year, that's a pretty long time, right? That's a pretty far way out. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in um, what we read, right? What meetings have we been to? But a year for only reading, like that's a really long time and there's impacts happening day in and day out, right? It's gotta be more than just the talking, the learning. And to be specific and super clear, not a knock at all in the readings and learning, they are critical and foundational in how we learn what to do. However, we all know better than to think that impact is just only knowing what to do. You gotta translate that into action and knowing what to do or knowing what is wrong doesn't move the needle unless it becomes consistently applied behaviors. And within the learning, and this is where we're gonna kind of get into this little like um, blend of corporate versus learning. But I think many of us have heard of the 70-20-10 model, right? Which is more of an articulation of the way people learn. Then it goes like this for those of you not familiar, 10% of what we uh, learn best is through structural learning, via coursework, readings, et cetera. 20% of our learning is via interaction with others that drives growth, but 70% of learning is from on-the-job related experiences, and that translates into actually doing the work. And so this is where kind of calling attention to the reading focus groups absolutely have a purpose. But when you think about the 70-20-10 model, how do you balance and invest your learning across it to drive progress, right? When you think about the class year, how did you spend your time? And does it align with the model, right? And this is where you've got to do the work, to learn the work. You've got to get out there, right? You gotta go to a march, listen to the speakers, use your voice, use your influence. Transition from solely donating and giving money to actually investing your time and attention. Directly invite the critical conversations that are barriers to achieve your full potential in this space and understand the, the ability and influence you have in legislation and act, right? And it's more about how do we move from being less transactional and more invested in that growth through action? If you're stuck on the readings and interactions, you're leaving the most important and most effective part of that learning journey on the table, right? 70%, that is not a small amount of really thinking about how much more effective you can be and making sure you invest that into the action. That's where the push and the, the emphasis usually comes behind the action. You just gotta get after it, dive in. And I think what's important, and I think it was maybe a couple of months ago, um, there's this huge debate around performative and authentic allyship. It comes up quite often, but the separation between the two are 
from a formative standpoint, those who take a checklist approach to the space versus authenticity, meaning you're actually in the space and you're seeking and driving to make a difference at any cost, no matter how uncomfortable challenging it is, right? And so if a book is not changing the needle, if a book, when you think about the ripple effect, is having no influence in driving equity, may it be for who you're looking for, right? Then the difference in that allyship is really thinking about, then I've got to try something else, right? And same with weight loss, right? Tactic one's not working, I'm going to tactic B, right? When it comes to growing muscle, right? It's the same thing, right? And that's where the difference really is. It's knowing that you have to match the same energy you gave for Juneteenth last year because you did it for impact and not because everyone else is doing it. It's knowing and not having to be told how to support the AAPI community because you understand systemic oppression, you've been involved, you've invested the time enough and you know how to action on it. And I think speaking for myself, um, as a black woman, I understand the need for readings and discussions all day. Um, but if that's where it stops, I have to ask the question, really, who is it for, right? In this space, there's no badges or blue check marks for allyship. It's more than a status. It's actually just the impact and the results you drive. All right, we've been on a lot of really universal concepts here today. Um, we didn't say the word growth mindset, but it's there. It's always there. We talked about change management in a way, leadership, accountability, learning and development. And it just really always tickles me how much these are such universal concepts that you can harness maybe sitting in a boardroom, on a podium, on a stage, on a mic, which we're all on mics on Zoom now. So that, that analogy doesn't really carry much weight. But you get what I mean. And all of this is just that tension between deciding who do you want to be, who were you yesterday, and how do you want to get there if that's where you want to go. And if you're in a position of leadership, it's closing that gap for your teams and breaking that tension to motivate and reward people to get there. And when I speak about leaders, the good news is, is it's everybody on this call, right? It's business owners, corporate employees, fitness instructors. We all lead, we all influence, and we all have the potential for change and impact. So going to leave with food for thought, especially in this state we're in, where vaccinations continue to roll up, mass mandates, gone, CDCs, they're at, and capacity restrictions disappear and we return to normal. And I think we all have to really consider what will be your normal coming out of this? And how are the critical moments over the course of the past year going to define the person you will be tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that? And what are you doing to secure your impact as an ally in these spaces rather than the one who performs this one? And the situations will not be perfect. They will never be perfect. And progress honestly rarely is, but it's out of that crisis that you actually grow. And so as we wrap here today, continue the self-assessment and drive the South accountability. We can all be really honest about our opportunities and the important part is to just action on them, right? We all have them. We all have opportunities in every dimension in this space. Nobody is perfect on this call. Maybe Ashley. I bet where we stand a year from now will be a really different place than where we are destined otherwise. But when crisis happens at the end of it, you have to take it as one of two decisions. Either for you, this will be a massive growing opportunity or a significantly missed one. And you've got to make a choice and choose the actions that align. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes, Kara Gilman, I agree. Um, 
there were, I've, I've learned it's taken me six weeks to stop handwriting and start typing because I can't keep up with all of the gems and the, and the quotes and the things that I want to hold on to. Um, one of the, one of the first things that stuck out was when you were talking about your situation, um, at Target, which when I like said to Mark that you were going to tell this story, he was like, holy shit. Anyone who's corporate and like knows money things, you're like, oh God, oh God, <laughs> poor Katasia. I um, promise I'm a good worker. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you talked about armoring up and there's, there's almost, um, there's almost no way when you know that you're going to get in trouble or you know that you're going to be called out or you know that there's a, a consequence that is going to make you uncomfortable at best. Um, it's so hard to not armor up because you're coming in with all of your past stuff and just trying to avoid any kind of fallout from it. And what I heard in my, in my brain was self-regulation and, and this is, this has been um, at the forefront for me in learning about trauma, specifically for young people. Right. And like how, um, how the brain works when we self-regulate and how we can move from being instinctual fight or flight to thinking and creative and high level and how you took yourself out of this space of fight or flight and put yourself at a higher level of thinking so that you could communicate clearly and intelligently and actively listen to the other human. Um, so that's a really long way of asking you, <laughs> how did you start to cultivate those skills? Was that something that you were taught growing up? Was that something that you got from fitness? Was it corporate? Where did this, where did that instinct come from? Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, I would actually say also target, but I feel like the lessons are still applying. Part of my training right out of college when I started at target was this whole series about feedback. And um, obviously it's, much easier to give feedback, but on the receiving end of feedback. And a lot of times, and really the mentality and the culture that was perpetuated at Target was just really feedback is a gift. Not that you have to follow every feedback, not that you have to take it and run with it, right? You kind of have to do an assessment and, and decide. But just thinking about kind of where people are at when they're having to bring feedback to your intention and just how... Um, it does, it does no, no service just to crap on you, right? Um, and so I think that like idea of that feedback is a gift, I would say it was probably something that definitely took time, but being in a culture and being immersed in a culture where it was feedback, you would get feedback all the time where you became used to it. And I don't think it's necessarily developing, um, I guess a little bit of a thick skin, but also just really learning how to carry yourself in these conversations, right? Because if you were kind of a person who clamored up defensive, you're getting feedback on that too, right? And so like there was no <laughs> there's no escaping it. But I, I'm grateful for it, right? From a start standpoint. Because I think as you go on and as you kind of look to see value in conversations, right? It transforms you a little bit and it makes it so that you can actually walk away from these conversations that feel really crappy, 
but you actually like left with something, even whether or not you agree with it, or maybe you agree with 20% of it, right? There's something, or even you just know where the other person stands, right? And how they feel about you. Right, right. That makes so much sense. And I'm thinking specifically around fitness. Every time you teach a class, you're getting feedback. Whether someone is like walking out early because they hate you, which has happened, or, you know, like whether you uh, offend someone, whether someone I've seen, dear God, women be like, you didn't shout me out when I was like, what? And it's like, I'm sorry, sorry, right? (laughs) Or whatever it is. Um, You know, you're constantly getting feedback, whether someone is literally having a conversation with you or it's because you're reading the room, which is so interesting because all you're saying is that it's a muscle that you have to flex like everything else, like cultivating courage or bravery or whatever it is. It's like putting yourself in the mindset of, I don't have to be afraid of feedback. Feedback helps me to grow, to develop, to become, to whatever. Um, And I find that to be probably one of the most liberating things. There's nothing to be afraid of except a better version of yourself. I mean, that could be scary. I'm kidding. But I also think the more, (laughs) yes. And the more more you seek out feedback, probably the less surprise feedback. If you position your, your inquiries in the right place, probably the less surprise feedback you're going to receive. Right. And so I think, um, that's where kind of the benefit of really seeking that opposing view, seeking that criticism, that critical eye, becoming more flexible and more comfortable actually finding it. Um, yeah. I feel in most cases creates more less instances where it's finding you, where things are at a breaking point. It's like, listen, I got to talk to you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something that's maybe unanswerable, but to that end, um, seeking seeking out the feedback or seeking out difficult conversations or, or seeking out being a better ally or a more informed ally. Um, on our prep call, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, people's, people's circles, right? Like homogenous friend groups and, and, you know, hanging out with people who are like you, that look like you, that think like you, that don't challenge you, that don't help you grow. And so is there any, advice um for people looking to widen their circle how do you do that without being like oh Khadija you're black I need a I need a black person um so I can be better with black people (laughs) how do how do we coming out of this pandemic how do we open ourselves up to new relationships yeah and I think what's tough and what is not successful is you kind of find like all right I'm ready for the opposing view. And you go and someone, hey, you, right? Like that's pretty transactional. But as you put it, you're looking to widen your circle, right? And probably that actually starts with widening your circle, right? How do you actually build relationships before you actually start asking for things, right? How do you actually get to know somebody, actually get to a point where you do have that rapport? And this is more where it's not a quick fix. And I think if you're in a position where you're like, oh my goodness, I don't have anybody in my circle that fits that, right? That's probably an opportunity to really think about how do you build a bridge? How do you expose yourself to different types of individuals? And actually, how do you find commonalities and a bridge point where you can actually grow and foster that? And I think even outside this one instance of like, okay, I get the benefit of learning about this other side of myself, 
I think if we did that more often, probably a lot of the issues we kind of find for equity inclusion, right, would probably also be a lot easier to resolve because there's that natural communication point. And so I guess like it is unanswerable in the sense that there's not a quick one unless you're willing to um, go pay somebody who specializes <laughs> in this space, right? And then that like, that's a transaction you could actually do. But if you're looking for an authentic one and actually looking to expand your circle, how do you actually start with just expanding your circle without asking for anything in return? Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I have, I both love and hate the phrase of like, you know, we're all like, we're all humans or like whatever, like, because I get it and we are, and we do share so much, but at the same time, sometimes it minimizes, you know, things that, things that we go through different sort of power dynamics and and stuff like that. And I, will say in terms of friendship, um, you know, certainly since moving to New England, my friend circle is very, very Caucasian. Um, Lots of white people that I love, but like, not because I, I feel like the people that are closest to me found entry points that were human they weren't seeking out a black girl to be friends with. It was, we connect on this or we connect on this. And then, you know, in some instances, those relationships grow and they become like my family. And in other relationships, you know, that, you know, this person maybe isn't ready to be (laughs) friends with someone of color. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's, but um, I do just want to put that out there to people that, um, when you start going back to your in-person fitness classes, when you start frequenting wherever you frequent and as you, as you open up and as you blossom, look for those opportunities to connect with different kinds of people. Um, Maybe there's someone, I don't know, like I, I remember, I just remember being a, a new client at different studios and kind of standing there awkwardly waiting for class to start. And we've all seen these people sort of standing outside of the room. They're by themselves clutching their water bottle. Maybe they're on their phone. So they're not as lonely. Like what an amazing opportunity to make a new friend or to say hello or to ask if they always go to this class or whatever it is. Right. To just like, to just reach out. I don't know, Deja, what, when, when, what were the ways that you found that were, I don't know, sort of, uh, most effective in the room, in the fitness space with, in terms of, uh, creating and maintaining relationships, because, um, you know, you weren't always in spaces where every instructor looked like you, where every client looked like you. So you also had to navigate sometimes being different, being other, being the only. Um, so what did you do for these I relationships? Guess, uh, that's a hard question. Um, I know, I'm sorry. I know the hard question. <laughs> I think for me, what I think was important, I kind of feel like I'm going to pick on um, that comment you just made, Ash, because I think one, I well, I don't know if anybody here was born an instructor. I wasn't. I was a client before we <laughs> teaching. But we all can think back and reflect on a moment where we kind of were new to the party and found um, 
yourself kind of a little bit kind of like outsider, right? May it be via race, may it be just like everyone knows what they're doing and everyone seems to get it and you don't. Maybe it seems that everyone seems to know each other, right? And I think it's important, especially in a place of leadership, is just thinking about how do you not always pivot to the same groups that you're comfortable with and how do you actually drive conversations with each other and things that make a big difference that I've seen many studios and many instructors do that make all the difference in the world is saying hi to your newbies, right? Um, we've all been there. It, I was terrified in my first, one of my first classes, like we all know what it means. Um, it just means the world. Um, yeah, even yeah. just thinking about too, you know, you've got your people, your friends, but how do you actually stay super democratic and, touching as many people as you can, visiting many as people as you can, um, the way you structure thinking about um, where people are at, right? And is in a way that still makes everyone feel invited to the party um, versus just catering to a select few. And there's not like a one, one shoe fits all kind of approach within all of that. But I think it's just a matter of just building connection points where you just don't naturally have them, right? And really making an intention to do that. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Being intentional. That is, that's something that's been a thread through each one of these talks. Um, yeah. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Be intentional. Um, I want to, I'm going to ask you another hard question. This will oh, be the night God. our friendship ends. Um, <laughs> how do you personally know that you are worthy? <sighs> Girl, listen, okay, this is important. And everybody is. is asking themselves, how do you know you're worthy? For real, we all feel, we all should feel worthy, but how do you know? How do you measure that? How do you measure it? Well, I feel like, oh my gosh, it's going to sound like in my therapy session. I feel like I know I'm worthy. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I'll turn it a little bit, but I guess like the baseline assumption is, everyone's worthy, right? And more around how do you interact and treat people from that state of equality may be kind of like thinking about how you visit, how you chat with people, how you take care of yourself, how you're nice to yourself. Um, I mean, I do things that reaffirm my worthiness and not every day I feel as worthy as others, but <laughs> luckily I have a really good support system that helps me on those times and days where I need help heard that wasn't a good answer was it no that was a good answer you had self-care in there you had uh you had like altruism in there you had support system in there like there was you did it you did it um now I'm gonna ask you another another hard question um <laughs> Tamika right. Tamika just <laughs> right Tamika <laughs> <laughs> What does liberation mean to you? When it comes to liberation, and I'm going to speak in the context of kind of what brought us here today, like for me personally, where I feel most liberated are places where I don't have to think of, you know, the 10 layers of how I behave, who is around me, how are mm -hmm. they receiving me, am I safe here, right? Where you can just like be, right? And usually that's in my home. Um, which I've really enjoyed during this pandemic. Right? <laughs> um, but I think sometimes, and I think what many of us forget about one another is we're all 
fighting a battle no one really knows anything else about, right? And everybody really is. Yes. And yes. I think at times, like there's all these things we carry on our shoulders, on our chest that just no one really knows about. And I think for me personally, it's like, how do I find places where I just don't feel their way on me due to my race, my gender, right? How do I work in places? How do I go to places? How do I hang out with people, right? Who kind of um, are less reminding of those barriers and those differences. And I think that kind of adds kind of a sense of upliftingness for me and worthiness. See, y'all hating on my questions, but these answers though, (laughs) but these answers, because there's so much, again, that we all on this call can co-create those spaces. That's our, that should be the intention, especially in a fitness space, right? Like we should be creating spaces where you don't have to worry about your safety, where you don't have to worry about your skin color in a way that challenges your safety or challenges your sense of self. And so, and, and people who aren't in fitness, whatever environment that you are in, um, you know, you could be absolutely doing the same thing, making sure people feel safe physically, psychologically, um, making sure people's kids feel safe. I mean, Jesus, like, especially, you know, with this past year with young people and their mental health, if you work with young people, if you have children yourself, um, I know that you are picking up the pieces a little bit, you know, we're picking up the pieces ourselves for ourselves. And so like, we're all just in this co-creation of like, how can we leave this place better than it is right now? And, and Khadijah, that like your answers are worthiness and liberation to me. So thank you. And you're all welcome that I asked those <laughs> questions, Tamika. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and, and I'm going to sort of piggyback and pivot. I have two questions left. So I want to say to people who are um, going to, participate in the Q&A, please start to put your name in the chat. You know how we roll. If you're brand new to this, um, you put your name in the chat and then um, I'll turn it over to LJ and she will facilitate the Q&A. But if you have questions already, start to put your names in. Um, so Khadijah, I've been reading Stacey Abrams' book, Lead from the Outside, which I'm obsessed with because it's it's kind of, I mean, it's lead from the outside, right? And inherently as a black woman, she is an outsider in politics, right? And um, she talks about how she had worries around being an effective leader, given the fact that she's an introverted black woman. And um, you and I have spoken at length about the benefits of diversity in in all forms. And I'm wondering two things. One, um, what are some of the challenges that you've personally had to overcome in terms of like, you are not the immediate image that someone would manifest if you think about corporate leader, if you think about fitness instructor. So you can frame that as imposter syndrome or not. It's up to you. But then also when when people on this call are deliberately trying to break themselves out of 
hiring people that are like them, choosing friends that are like them. Um, are there certain character traits or personality things? Like, are there things that we should be looking for in other people um, if we're if we're seeking job candidates, if we're looking for another fitness instructor? Yeah, big question, but you know what I'm saying. All right, I'm gonna start with the part two of your question. Yeah. And it's interesting because you talk a lot about this um, throughout my corporate career from a hiring standpoint. And a lot of what happens is um, in old ways, in old worlds, you earn a job either through, you know, somebody or someone's recommended, right? Or you're really, com- they make you feel comfortable the way that they're working. Um, I think that's sometimes how teams become very homogenous. May it be a single job single race, um, a single background, right? And really, when you think about hiring and going through that process, it's about thinking about what skill sets are you missing, right? Because it's diverse teams that are the highest performing. It's teams of many different perspectives and backgrounds, especially from an outward client-facing vehicle such as fitness, right? When you think about many different types of people that your clients can actually go to, right, that only attracts more people. I think Peloton's a fabulous example of that, where they've got a ton, well, they've got a lot of instructors, but a ton of different ones where if you want someone global, uh, hit classes in different languages, they have different types of attitudes. There's one, uh, there are trainers who train the athletes, right? And that just really creates an environment where naturally it just brings more volume of people, right? But the only way you get to have a collective like that is just an intentional hiring strategy around the different types of skill sets and, um, strengths that you want to have on your bench and then how do you actually seek it and you might have um you might have it's less about just really only hiring um the person who in the old ways is seen as the best because I think a lot of times the best is kind of homages to what we're comfortable with what we're familiar with and really thinking about how you can see value in different types of personalities and bring a collective menagerie of different individuals for that Um, on your first question around leaders who don't look like the others, or even Stacy being an introvert, right? Um, and how do you really overcome that? I think one, like this point we just hit on around, like it kind of starts with the hiring and even further the promotion of talent throughout the organization, right? That allows you to get there. But I think there's things that you do have to worry about and overcome, um, especially as like a black woman in corporate America that are a little different, right? There's this angry black woman syndrome right, where um, fortunately, unfortunately, throughout my career, I found myself, especially when it comes to pushing back, when it comes to um, having to deliver a strong message, um, there's a certain type of lens I have to, I've had to apply to it, right, um, compared to my white male counterparts, where, you know, not that I would ever blow up on anybody, right, but, and, but that's okay, that's okay for them, but for me, like, any type of emotion when delivering a direct message, right, I've had to really manage that right, wrong, or indifference throughout my career, and so I think that's just kind of my long-winded way of saying there are differences, and, you know, maybe as a Latinx individual, um, how you're perceived, what gets said, right, Um, and I think the more we continue to drive diversity within our organizations, the more we're embracing of different points of view, different leadership styles, different levels of introvertedness and extrovertedness that still can be effective in different ways, that's where we really start to curb some of those types of um, ways we have to kind of brace ourselves and reposition ourselves um, to be successful. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also hearing one of your points 
you know, 40 minutes ago, which is, which is intentionality, but also don't be afraid to be challenged. Don't, don't shy away from someone who, who's going to sort of take you to task, hopefully respectfully, but right. um, I think there's also a, a level of, a level of comfort, which I even in, you know, thinking about, um, thinking about just my own relationships, right. With the conversations that I have with you or like someone like Beth, where like Beth will be like, I love you and you're my sister, but (laughs) blah, 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 blah. Like, but you're a serial killer. Right. Like, so it's like those sorts of things that, um, that are, that are so valuable to, to us, to our friendships, to our relationships, to, you know, um, and to our workspaces. So I hope people like really hear, really hear that, like seek to find new, different, challenging, introverted, extroverted. Don't go for the person with the 4.0 GPA because they might not be the greatest fit or they might just be more of the same. I had to tell a student today, she was, there's this like test that they have to take at the end of the year. And she's like, um, you know, I'm really scared because I'm not a good test taker. And I was like, well, first of all, don't tell yourself you're not a good test taker, (laughs) number one. But second of all, I was like, I was same. And And I told her that I don't think it was that I wasn't a good test taker. It's just that there were all of these messages around testing and how if you don't get a good grade on this, then you don't get to go here and you don't, and then this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen. And it's like our measures of success and our measures of successful people are just like way off, yeah, way off. So thank you for that. My last one, um, because it's about me and my learning. Um, <laughs> For, so, okay. So for people are, who already consider themselves allies, they're like, Khadijah, I do the work in a myriad of ways, 70, 20, 10, I'm with you. I'm doing it. I got it. So one, when people, so there's like two things. Um, one, you have like the woke police, right? Like people who are like waiting to correct something or like waiting for people to make a mistake and like, right. And then you have um, the other people who are kind of like, re- like just starting to recognize like what a microaggression looks like in real time or uh, what an injustice looks like in real time. So I'm talking about gauging your allyship for the people on this talk, what are moments when they need to step in and maybe advocate when the power dynamic is in their favor? And then when do you, when do you know um, how to step back and let the person advocate for themselves? Like, is there any sort of measure of basically when to use your privilege and when to and when to stop taking up so much space? Ending with the hardest question. I think the short answer is there's not a hard and fast rule. 
Um, and I think I'll hit on like the woke police question. Cause I think like, I don't like the woke police, right? Like it's, it's, it's just an interesting concept because it feels like it's it, at times, I think while calling people in is a really good and really beneficial thing. And I think we should all want to be called in. Um, there's that line where at times I perceive it more just like, hey, hey, hey. And it's almost like that Spider-Man meme where the, the three Spider-Man identical are pointing at each other like this, right? When really- I, I have not seen that meme. What, what I meme sent is it to you. I, no, Did I you? I use send it, it again, because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I didn't send it to you in the rehearsal, but no. But, but this idea where it's kind of like um, everybody in glass houses throwing stones at one another. And I think, and, and that's kind of something that just always bothers me. And at times I feel that really sometimes even overshadows the work and the issue at hand mm-hmm. where people are arguing about who's not woke and who says they are versus actually like, hey, like, you know, there's still oppression. Uh, things are still unequal, right? And I, I wish we had that same energy for actually fixing the issue um when it comes to knowing the balance between where to lean in and where to lean out um I guess maybe the best answer I'll give and I'll link it back to the conversation kind of we had today where the practice of looking to get involved you're not always going to be perfect but you've got to be comfortable with being called out when it wasn't perfect right um and I think if you're looking if you're holding back from getting involved but you're your heart and your allyship tells you this is where you need to be, do it, right? And if it's not, and someone trusts you enough to call it up to you, listen. And the more you become open, the more you'll learn how to read situations, right? Because there's a thousand different variables at hand that could be it. It could be, you know, you calling out and um, the way you're talking is, you know, something that really makes someone feel other. It could be perhaps um, you're misreading the situation, but right? It could be anything, but it's really getting out there and actually doing the work. And if you're feeling this is wrong, how do you create less instances where you're like, oh, should I, have, should I say something and create more instances where you're actioning and doing the work to learn the behavior to actually have a little bit more confidence in the long term? I'm like, actually, that was, you know, I don't need to um, debate it. I know a little bit better, but that's just where like, the more you do the work, the more you learn the work, right? But if you're holding back all the time, you're never really going to know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a hard question. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I look at all the memes you send me. I just, you know, I'm going to blame the baby on that one. <laughs> After we close this. Soon. Okay. Fine. I'm going to get scolded. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to LJ for Q and a, um, I will certainly, keep asking questions if no one has any, because that's just how my brain works. Um, I just, I'm like, a, I love soaking up all the goods. Um, so Deja, thank you for, thanks for being on here. Thanks for chatting with me. LJ, all you woman. <laughs>